0: Hey everybody, this is West Bank Robbery episode sixteen. We are here recording on October eleventh, three days after the war has started four days? Four days after the war in Palestine has started. With me today is a guest that I'm sure you're all familiar with, Mohammed Amr. Uh very famous Warner contributor. Uh he did the series on the uh Arab conquest and then also uh Inglorious Qatari Bustards, which I think works a lot better when you say it than having it written out. I didn't really understand it.
1: Yes. Uh we're going to be doing one thing, and one thing, oh, hunting bastards. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting kidnapped.
0: But, you know, go listen to Amr on Radio Warner. But regardless, today, you know, we're we're here to just kind of chat about the war and the developments that have been happening. Um, one thing that's changed for me is, you know, I think this war has really boosted up my self-esteem. There's uh, flying Palestinians now, which is just like, you know, you couldn't write that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh i mean first as for Palestinians i imagine this is like a huge w um i don't wanna uh hijack that glory as well but i think arabs in general are are having a field day with this um or at least the arabs that that still believe in in in
0: no absolutely yeah. you can share in this w yeah, yeah. I like i i think this is in my head i've just been thinking
1: like the arab giant rises yeah
0: <laughs> <Like, laughs> over and over <laughs>
1: yeah uh, i've been uh i've been listening to various uh classic arab music uh in in solidarity especially feirouz's zahrat uh, yeah. which is like just trying to pump myself up for this which is i mean it, during so there were there were like palestine solidarity rallies and marches across the world and and, and over uh, around canada um on sunday and monday and uh, they've been criticized for, quote-unquote, by like, you know, your mainstream press and liberals and so on, for, quote-unquote, celebrating the violence. Now, th- you know, a lot of people are saying, no, this is not about celebrating the violence, it's about solidarity with Palestine, which is true. But I wouldn't, like, at least me attending one, I wouldn't say that I was not celebrating uh, a victory no, well, of course
0: not it's it's incredible it's like a straight-up military-ass victory like there's a straight up there's palestinian marines there's flying palestinians there's
1: the motorbike units are the mo- the motorbike units i was there was a that was a big double light,
0: light cavalry
1: yeah i was like this is <laughs> this is incredible. the greatest victory by light cavalry since Khalid ibn walid at yarmouk
0: <laughs> you know i don't know if this hurts the israeli imagination more than 2006 but this is definitely the biggest palestinian specific w since like definitely
1: more than 2006 i would argue because 2006 for all of its you know the humiliation inflicted on the IDF, it was still a humiliation inflicted in a technically speaking a foreign land you know like in the sense that israelis Like, it was in Lebanon, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. this is, like, this was supposed to be their land, quote-unquote. So having that humiliation effect on them, on their home turf, it's like an away game versus a home game, right? If you lose in an away game, (laughs) you know, you're like, fine, you know, it was bad, you get humiliated away, but you're like, it's not our stadium, right? It's not our court, it's not our fucking turf. Uh, so yeah, this is, this is, I think, a-
0: yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, Palestinians are a second half team. I think we're definitely, <laughs> yeah.
1: Half. yeah, you guys <laughs> conserve your energy for, for the overtime. Yeah. I can see that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We were just learning. There was a lot of, uh, you know, footage, footage studying going yeah. on <laughs> over the past 50 years. Yeah, man. Like, oh my God. I, I woke up that morning and I saw a bunch of people had messaged me like just, <laughs> uh, and I, I, the flying Palestinians, I really cannot get over that. Like, and they kidnapped. A, oh, sorry, we we should try to keep this a little bit organized. So let's let's describe what happened here with the the flying Palestinians. There was a squadron of fucking motorized hang gliders, not hang gliders necessarily. They were more like parachute vehicles. I don't know what you call them. They had like a uh, they had a motor and everything.
1: Yeah, they had a mortar attached to like a, a seated compartment. And then a parachute to, like, you know, uh, the motor is to propel, I and mean, then the parachute is to, like, direct, like, direction, control direction. Um, and yeah, they had an entire unit of those. And, I mean... I think there's still more. There was talk
0: of maybe more happening today. Today has been an absolutely terrible news day. The October 11th. It's been... Nobody knows what the fuck is going on. I think I'm still not of it sure it what like hap- what's Israel happening in the and north shadows.
1: and the, the, the Jordan. Yeah. Like, I don't know what What's going on over there? I know. I mean, first of all, it's impressive. The fly. To go back to the flying Palestinians. Like it's impressive that they managed to either a keep that secret for so long or misdirect to the extent of how much they had these these devices and how capable they've been in terms of training. Because I imagine you can't train hand like you know you can't train gliders in, in tunnels at least you know.
0: Some of them were pretty big, you know, I would not necessarily be surprised. I do think a lot of it, though, was kind of just, like, colonial underestimation, probably. Like, I I wouldn't, if I was, like, a Mossad intelligence guy, like, looking at drone footage, I wouldn't necessarily think that a parachute is (laughs) Palestinians preparing for, like, paratrooper operations, you know. I'm not sure they believed in us that much.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's classic, you know, like... Uh, it's both, I mean, it's classic fascism in the sense that the enemy is both like forever at the gates and ready to kill us, but also like weak and feeble and incapable of like any strategic thinking or or yeah, yeah any military form of like effectiveness and so on.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah. So the, a couple, there's been a couple other. Palestinian military branches that have uh, appeared over the past couple of weeks. So we have the Marines. They've been attacking uh, a little bit to the north of Gaza. There's been at least five naval engagements, like Marine landings. Um, it's tough to know how those are going right at the moment, but uh, it's cool.
1: I imagine Marines I like have the, the, the highest uh, casualty rates insofar as...
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, there is like a fairly long history of like Palestinian frogmen like uh doing attacks and stuff like they're they happen almost like every year basically uh it always makes the news though like it's like an incredibly shocking thing just because i don't think people know that like palestinians can swim or whatever but like you know it's like it's on the mediterranean like you know there's (laughs) fucking like triremes sunk in those waters like clearly you know
1: yeah i mean this area has a long history of naval (laughs) naval engagements um though i mean uh I could see why there's an underestimation of Arab naval capacity, since there was never Arabs were never a naval power. That was that. that was, that's an interesting, uh, you know, uh, historical uh, tidbit. At least, you know, like when, for example, when when the early uh, Khalifa under uh, Khafar Rashidin, um, you know, during the early Islamic. Uh, expansion The one of the reasons they failed to take uh constantinople um or defeat the byzantines was naval inferiority byzantines had total control over the mediterranean and would often uh destroy uh uh uh, like you know ships that are bringing supplies and men to uh their land forces no not to not to belabor that too much but like yeah um, uh
0: we, we're, we're herbs are not known for their seaworthiness. yeah we're, we're a lot people you know yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. um yeah i was actually at the uh istanbul naval museum uh two years ago last year actually at this point yeah um fantastic museum by the way they had not adjusted anything for inflation there's like a fancy restaurant in there they had so many different ships and yachts and shit there was a barbarossa's flag oh wow in there uh, it was pretty sick i don't know if it's a real flag i think it is it's like it was like gigantic and made of silk and shit yeah uh, man i should black. have gone there i was i was
1: there in istanbul last year as well and i i don't i didn't go to the museum but you're right they, nothing was adjusted for inflation i mean obviously the turkish economy is like fucking in free fall so there's that
0: oh it's fucked up yeah, yeah it's not good at all yeah but that's good for you know going to museums <laughs>
1: Yeah, and eating and everything. Uh, on, on, a, on a related note, did I ever tell you how I, I met this guy playing uh, Sunday League football, soccer? Uh, and he was a Turk. Uh, and he once, like, pulled me aside, basically, and was like, you know, the reason the Turks lost the war, the World War One, was because of you guys as an Arabs. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, but apparently, yeah, this, this guy was a... <laughs> That's old beef. Well, I mean... He was, he was a Turkish nationalist and he was like, I don't know, same age as me, I guess. Uh, but he was like, he was a Kemalist. He was like a proper Kemalist type. So, Interesting. yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I really don't know that much about like the very Eastern front. <laughs> I don't know what you call it, the, the Arab front in World War II. Uh, I'm familiar with the movie where the Arabs betray the empire, but I, I don't know. I don't really know anything more than that.
1: There's a good book by Eugene Rogan called "The Fall of the Ottomans" that get into that gets into that both in the Ottoman campaigns in the Caucasus and in uh, uh, Arabia, if you want to call it Arabia or the Middle East or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like I would argue that the failure was contingent, like on a lot of decisions made by the Young Turks. But um, by the time they lost uh, in in the Caucasus in 1915. Uh, They were they were never gonna be able to push uh, uh, back in the Middle East properly, at least. At least, that's my Mm -hmm. uh, assessment. I'd make.
0: That seems very reasonable. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm reading Eugene Rogan's book. uh, Just it's just the Arabs is what it's called. I've been reading that right now. Yeah, that
1: that was good. I like that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's apparently the only popular history of that size that just uses Arab sources. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he like like as as primary documents. Um,
1: Yeah, he's a fairly, I I, respect respect him as an historian in that he tends to rely on primary documents of the people he's writing, also for example, in Fall of the Ottomans, a lot of his primary sources are like letters and memoirs by Ottoman soldiers, both officers and conscripts, and then like comparing that with like you know Ottoman newspapers, uh, 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 what's it called, uh, communications by between uh, the Young Turks, things like that. He doesn't like he really relies on primary sources a lot, which is I think is um, impressive.
0: Yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm at the uh, I'm right about where it gets bad. I'm in like the mid thirties right now in the book. It's uh Yeah, that's a that's a that's what we call a yikes era. The 30s was lit, kind of. You know, the Syrians were like, "Oh, hell yeah, we're gonna get a democracy. We're gonna tell the British what we want. They're gonna listen to us. They're gonna give us. The Americans are gonna be our conservators. This is gonna be great." And, yeah, and I never understood. They just dumped all of that in the trash.
1: <laughs> I never understood that there was a big, there was a big like, and I, I think this this went across the entire colonized world of like people thinking that the Americans will be their friends because of like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution or whatever i I mean you know big big l there like that was
0: yeah, yeah huge yeah they did you know they were they were relatively less powerful and extremely far away i could see why you would want them instead of the the hated british yeah <laughs> you know uh they never gave anything to the americans though so it didn't end up mattering really um oh Another another branch of the Palestinian army that has opened up is the uh, tank brigades. There's at least four merkavas that are now in control of Pal- controlled by Palestinians. I take back everything I've said about the merkava. I want one now. I really do.
1: I mean, <laughs> yeah, my advice to the Palestinians would be to just leave the merkavas in the garage because, like, they're they're not known for their uh, protection of units inside said merkava. So I don't know. I mean, I personally, as someone who doesn't want Palestinians to die, I would uh, discourage uh, you know using Merkavas.
0: I'm of the opinion that you just sell them to the Egyptians. Oh I think yeah, that's I probably mean, your best bet. The I money, the, the money would be great. Would love that. Yeah. You know, you could probably get a lot in exchange for a bunch of Merkavas, uh and some military personnel. Send it to the Egyptians. I wouldn't trust the Egyptians. But, but I was gonna say it. I'm like would, like, would you
1: would you even like open up dialogue with them? Like these people are like. They haven't shown, uh, at least the Egyptian Egyptian uh, military elite and the the government haven't shown yeah. any any uh, loyalty or or commitment to the cause. And what... no,
0: it's hard to see they're even there. You don't really even need to put them on the map. It's just like a wall. They they don't exist geopolitically at the moment. It's it's incredible how far they've fallen. It's like extremely disappointing. I would
1: go as far as to say that uh, they're they're even like at this point given what Sisi is doing and what he needs to do, they're a satellite state of Saudi Arabia. Like, the, all the money, all the funding for anything comes from Saudi Arabia anyway, so, like, would like he just gets his marching orders from Riyadh?
0: And it's such, like, a larger country, too. They have such a larger economy, such a larger population, and they're just totally fucking subservient to Western interests, which I would, you know, consider Saudi Arabia to just be an extension of, basically.
1: Um See, I, yeah, I don't know. I, see I've, I've been thinking about this, and I have this theory. It's somewhat underdeveloped, but uh, maybe I'll write something on my blog for it on uh soon. Uh, Check it out, folks. I, mean, I, I think we've reached a point in time where, like, I find it difficult to say for certain that, like, israel and saudiya are imperial outposts of america like that the, the direction of power is like hierarchical in that sense with america on top i think it's like symbiotic at this point you know i think uh, i i think there's i don't know and again this is very underdeveloped theory but there's i feel like at this point the, the Saudis influence America as much as America influences the Saudis far as, like, funding, you know, various presidential campaigns, various political parties, and so on, and, like, having various uh, factions in their pocket in D.C. as much as the other way around.
0: Yeah, you know, I've also been thinking about that a lot, and I think, well, I think you're right that the relationship isn't, like, totally one-sided. I think that might just be how the... Uh, like Comprador states have always functioned. Like there's always been like a degree of leeway and sort of like the tail wagging the dog, I think, with these. But I think American power to dictate has definitely waned yeah, yeah. significantly in the last few years. That's what I was thinking. It'll be interesting to see. You're a-, a, you're a strong believer that the Arabs might get a nuke. I, I, on the other hand, do not believe in the Arab nuke, unless it's the Palestinians that end up getting it. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm not a believer in, as an okay, I'm a believer but not a supporter. I mean, the problem is that if Arabs ever get a nuke is going to be Syria, which is like the worst entity of the lot to get a nuke. Uh, Absolutely. Though, you know, on on the re- on on a related note of that, like, um, I think I think the attack on Saturday, Hamas's attack. I mean, a lot of people have been spilling a lot of ink talking about what that means in terms of saudi Israeli normalization. Um, but it's I gotta th- be dead. Right, I don't think it's do think? dead. I think it's delayed. It'll, it'll be delayed for a while. I do think I don't think it gives the Saudis more bargaining power with the Israelis and the Americans because now they can extract a lot more if they were to throw the Palestinians under the bus. But then also the flip side of that is that the Saudis also realize they have a domestic constituency to to answer to in a way that even like for example the Emiratis don't. Like when the Emirates normalized with with Israel in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one, whichever year the Abraham Accords were signed, um, like it's it's there was like the, the Emirates aren't a domestic constituency in the way the Saudis have to deal with. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the Emirates are such a small population of of this like very small tightly knit elite. There is no like Emirati larger population underneath that. You know. There's expats, which are you know the Western uh, foreigners, and then there's immigrants, which are the South Asian foreigners, and there's different class relations there, but. As far as the Emiratis are concerned, there's this tight-knit group of elites that pretty much are on a similar class underneath uh, the royal family. And they all sort of, you know, for the most part, at least, they, they move in the same direction. Whereas with the Saudis, I think they actually have the domestic constituencies um, of various factions to at least play ball with to some degree. And I think whatever i think uh, normalization is definitely off the table for now i don't think it's impossible permanently but i do think that whatever concessions the Saudis were looking for earlier especially the nuke as we discussed um i think they can extract more now especially in including uh, domestic enrichment as part of that nuke process
0: yeah i think i i think you're definitely onto something there um this there there is like a like a military and like political history of Palestinians like getting in the way of um Sorry, I was fixing my audio one second. Sorry, Jeremy, you can cut this if you want. Uh okay, we're in um yeah so there is a there is a pretty long history of Palestinians like interfering with attempts at Arab states to normalize like in the interim period or the interwar period between the nineteen sixty seven war and the nineteen seventy three war there was pretty consistent um raids done by uh they're always referred to as commandos uh Palestinian commandos launching attacks from Egypt and Syria and lebanon et cetera to like force the hand of the Arab states. Some people don't really like this framing because they consider it like I don't know, victim blaming the Palestinians or something, but I, you know, I, I do think the Palestinians have played like a very, you know, smart and shrewd role as far as their impact into uh, Arab
1: states relations with
0: uh, the Zionist entity, as it were.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, the, the most famous or uh, infamous, if you want to call it that, was I would would really you say is Black September? No. Yeah, yeah,
0: that was a that was a real historical hinge point.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh, yes, actually, yes, that's a good point. I mean it's i think the hing- the hinge point within the hinge point there is whether syria was going to intervene or not and how far it would go um, i think didn't i think they tried to intervene they sent a column of tanks but were threatened by the israeli air force or something i'm not sure about the details there but yeah black september was a hinge point i would agree there
0: yeah absolutely oh, jordan I- is you know such a key piece and such a fucking loyal us dog
2: like yeah, I mean, Jordan, it, I think, is, like- is
0: not a state with independent foreign policy, like Saudi or even Israel. Like they are absolutely like chained to the fence post. My
1: crank, my crank position is that a free Palestine includes all of Jordan as well, a greater Palestine.
0: Yeah, fucking King, what's his fuck, has always believed in that. <laughs> uh, uh, Abdullah's dad, wh- whatever it. his name was. Uh, yeah, 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 he he was always a big believer in, uh, believer in Greater Trans Jordan. Yeah, but for me, it's the other way around. It's greater Palestine, not greater
1: trans-Jordan, because I don't want the Hashemites uh, involved. Um, yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: The, also, the other thing I wanted to mention about Saudi-Israeli normalization that I think is under, this part is understated, is a big a big sell for the Saudis for normalization was cooperation with Israeli um, security. So, like security, um, uh, you know, cooperation. But given given what we saw from Hamas on Saturday until today, and the complete intelligence failures um, on several levels by the IDF, Musad and Shin Bet, I mean, do Sa- the Saudis even want a security cooperation anymore? Like, it doesn't seem like it's a sell. It's no, it's 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 a no longer an appealing an appealing product to put on the table, is it?
0: No, no, I can imagine, like, Israeli intelligence stocks are extremely, extremely down right now. Like, they they really shit the bed. I, yeah. I think what all do of you their think... spyware programs and everything, are, they're not looking too hot right now at all.
1: Yeah, what do you think of the, there's that, the whole, like, you know, the, 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 the uh types who would argue that, well, Israel uh, knew entirely about the operation and let it happen for a variety of reasons?
0: I... I really, really don't see any credence in that. That would be funny. I mean, it would be <laughs> if hysterical. If they did. Yeah. Uh, if they just let an own goal happen as far as some, like, 12-D chess, but I I really think they were just caught off guard. Like, you do see, like, over the last, like, since, 20, since the 2019 war, you have seen, like, every time there's, like, a resistance operation, especially in, like, the West Bank and stuff, people are like, we were just texting about this. Like, we were seeing if Shin Bet would notice. They just didn't. They just let us do it. It's it's incredible that they're not paying attention to anything that we're doing here. It's shocking. Like, uh, and you see it a lot with like the failed assassination campaigns in the West Bank targeting like the Lion's Den and that kind of thing. They did eventually get the uh ahead of it, I believe. But uh, there was quite a few failed attempts at it uh to begin with. And I do also think there's been like a pretty concerted Palestinian effort at counterintelligence. Like, I do think that everybody that was uh giving information uh, was either flipped into, like, a double-triple agent type of thing or just fucking killed, probably. Yeah, the classic... explains a lot of what's happened so far.
1: The classic IRA maxim of putting out their eyes um, with regards to Ireland, at least, yeah.
0: Palestinians, you know, have been very good at killing informants. Is it just, like, especially, like, you know, going as far back as, like, the Lebanon War? Like, a lot of people got shot.
1: Yeah, like, I, have, <laughs> I have very little sympathy for informants. I mean um i think i think in conditions like ireland or palestine like you have to there things need to be done when it comes to like maintaining uh operational security for uh liberation movements and if that means then you yeah. know dealing harshly with informants then so be it
0: yeah absolutely you know i'm i'm sympathetic to the reasons that would get somebody to be an informant like you know things are absolutely fucking hell but you know i'm also very sympathetic to the idea of dealing with them. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, I don't I don't mean to be callous about the reasons why someone would be an informant, especially with the power uh Israel holds especially over the West Bank or uh, Gaza like in terms of like, you know, l- letting people leave and and, and and permits and all of that. But yeah, um I again, it, it seems so incredible how much uh operational security hamas must have had in the because this is this this can't be something that they planned in like two weeks this must have taken like years of practice and and training and and to keep to keep that level of silence is incredible
0: i know it, it almost makes it seem like the previous like missile barrages that like overwhelmed the iron dome over the last few years were just practice like i can imagine like, they yeah. really figured out how to do it like you know, and they've been saving up missile stockpiles. The technology has been improving. They released like five different new missile platforms. Uh, not uh, not missile platforms, just like military platforms in general. Like the new drones, they're using the short range, like Katyusha looking, like close range artillery missiles, like. They've been working. They've been pretty fucking busy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... There there is an overabundance of engineers in Gaza. I was literally literally just about to say that.
1: I'm like, literally every uh, Palestinian I've ever met is either a doctor or an engineer. And I'm like... Yeah, I'm
0: the worst member of my family. I'm neither of those
1: guys. (laughs) (laughs) How did your parents react when you told them you weren't going to be an engineer? Um... They were
0: just happy I was going to school. I'm actually finally – look, it's taken me a while to get through school. I'm finally getting an associate's degree at my, at my ripe old age. And every, my, my family in Palestine especially has always been like, just get the degree. We'll, and all of Palestine is waiting for you to get any kind of degree. And now that I'm finally getting it, I really did not think they meant this.
1: You know? <laughs> They were waiting just for this, for, for before yeah. before moving. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you have that's that's the other thing. You have a bunch of um, overqualified engineers that are also unemployed because you know of the way uh, economic uh, siege on Gaza. What do you what the fuck do you think they're gonna do? They're gonna tinker with with uh, little rockets. They're gonna be like,
0: yeah, they would do that for fun, even if they were like even if they yeah. were employed. This is what they do. You know, it's just. <laughs> Uh, The the criminal colonial underestimation, I think, has proved very helpful. Like, I, I was also thinking about this. Imagine you're an Israeli, if you might, for a moment. And you see, you're just, okay, first of all, you're the most racist person that's ever lived. (laughs) <laughs> yes okay put yourself in that framework I'm, you I'm see pal- a palestinian army. you've ever heard in your entire life absolutely you're rolling off burger. of leaf yeah. in the bathtub you know you're at taco burrito burger town eating uh israeli salad uh, and you see a palestinian army walking down the street can you imagine the level of fear it would be like seeing king kong with like a battle <laughs> axe like running down the fucking street like well, that is an incredibly unique human experience to feel that level of fear
1: <laughs> well the 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 rave the rave uh Story. I mean, it's being overshadowed now by more, even more bizarre uh, propaganda. But the rave story initially, like videos have come out showing that the Israelis were essentially using the ravers as human shields, and that they were firing at Hamas from within the crowd. So, like, you know, if I was, you yeah, what you get. You know? if, if I was, if I was tripping on the again, Molly made in a bathtub uh, in, in someone's basement in like Hebron or whatever, like I would. <laughs> I would probably, like, freak the fuck out and, like, just go feral. Like, completely yeah, lose my sanity.
0: And, you know, like, most of those guys are fucking, you know, except for the foreigners, are just trained soldiers, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They, they got ready. Is it, you know?
1: but this, again, the, the distinctions between civilian and soldier, to me, gets very blurred when you have an entire garrison state. Like, if you have an yeah, entire absolutely. state that is a garrison state where, like, every adult – Person, not even a meal, every adult person, because conscription is fucking universal over there. Like, everyone is a soldier or a soldier in waiting. Like, sure, I mean, you know, uh, you could argue that if they're not wearing uniforms or having a rifle, then you blah, 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 blah. but like, you know, it's a garrison. Yeah, scene. You what know, like, you like were there
0: civilians at Jamestown?
1: You know, like, yeah. Like,
0: you know, like, it, it's. It, you know, they built the bed. Yeah. are sleeping in it. You know, yeah, it's not. Uh, the videos that came out of just like early, like before they knew there was an attack, just like the TikToks of like a Palestinian parachuting into the background.
1: Yeah, that was hysterical. That was hilarious. Moments I went before
0: disaster.
1: I wonder <laughs> if anyone thought that was like part of a show. That was like special, like performance, like they hired some acrobatic types to like, you know, do a performance or something. Also, the music yeah. the music on those TikToks was horrific. Is it just, like Israelis have the worst taste in everything, including- it's Israeli
0: side trance. There is no side trance without Israeli side trends. That's it's what. Horrific. That's what they always it is say. Fucking
1: criminal. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. They got
0: infected mushroom, and you know that that whole crew. I think it's just the molly. I don't know where they're making molly. I bet you know. I bet fucking Shinbet is heavily involved. In Probably molly trafficking to England.
1: <laughs> I mean, the molly we get here in Canada at least um, uh, is half decent if you know where to look. But I can't imagine Shinbet molly is anything more than like. You know it's just meth, probably yeah but ninety percent like just speed, and then like yeah, probably cut with baby powder um at best, yeah, yeah
0: yeah, yeah. cut with some leftover c four know, yeah
1: whatever they got over there. I guess c four is not I
0: guess c four is not a powder, you know, whatever,, uh, yeah. but uh yeah, yeah man this this war is really just it's really shifted the situation like i I've been thinking a lot about how. You know, Palestinians have always argued under the auspices of, like, international law, human dignity, human rights, etc. And since really, like, the late 80s, like – or especially since Oslo, like, there's never been, like, a very serious military component. It's it's mostly just been, like, we're perfect victims – nobody believed that anyway, the like mainstream Western press. They absolutely did not consider us perfect victims in any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and you know, we weren't really bringing anything to the table as far as like a military situation would be concerned. Like, you know, like in the seventies and eighties, you had the PFLP, there was fighting in Lebanon, et cetera, but also the, the plane hijackings, era. no,
1: like, like the,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the PFLP was like the Soviets like pet project and especially like the GDR and that kind of thing. Um, And, you know, they they provided a lot. And they also, you know, actually they acted as sort of like a go-between between between the Soviets and a lot of other revolutionary groups that they weren't directly linked with, like the PKK or like South Yemen, that kind of thing. Like the PFLP and the GDR provided a lot of training for their like security forces or their um, like intelligence networks and stuff over there. Um, But, you know, I think after today the Palestinians bring something much stronger to the negotiating table. I think any negotiations that go on from here on out, if there even are any – but Most that's a concern. Yeah. That's the
1: big concern, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think um, there's they can bring more to the table, but there's also, like, the concern that, like, Israel is just going to embrace its, like, death cult. It's The foundations of it, which are the death cult, um, and just go completely all out um, on – I think it's possible.
0: Like, the, the U.S. put out a plan for peace that essentially just involved ethnically cleansing Gaza and sending 2 million refugees into Egypt.
1: Yeah, I'm sure the Egyptians Which, will be thrilled know, about that. Yeah. yeah,
0: as far as the Egyptians don't give a shit about anything, they definitely don't want that. You know, like, I really do not see a, a situation where the Egyptians are like, yeah, sure, just depopulate this entire region and we'll take them. Like, that's fine. Uh, that's not happening. Cairo's, Cairo's dense enough.
1: I don't, I don't think a, Cairo is dense enough and B, they're also dealing with their own um, ISIS insurgency in the Sinai and like having two million refugees flood into the Sinai is just gonna create a fucking headache that even yeah, someone absolutely. as as um, beholden to Western uh, interest as CC understands is like untenable completely.
0: Yeah, and, like, you know, the Americans have been fucking over Egypt for, like, a, the last couple of years pretty hard now. They're not even fucking selling them the nice jets. They're giving them, like – like, Israel is just, like, don't – you're not allowed to sell Egypt anything that even comes close to us as far as air power is concerned. They're not allowed to have a better anything than we do air power-wise. And I, You know, I think the – I don't think the U.S. has really cultivated the Egyptian relationship to the point where – they would allow that
1: you know except I mean, for refugees, except right? for one hero one american one, hero who understands hero. the hero value of Nassar, yeah. the
0: nasser medal of honor recipient bob menendez <laughs>
1: yes uh, the 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 one American hero who understands the value of of uh, getting uh, allies in Cairo uh, up to date. Bob is
0: at the park. He's got his top button undone. He's wearing gold. You know, he's yeah. grilling kebab. Yeah, yeah
1: he's uh, he's just like, Bob's he, really a
0: member of the community.
1: He has like his his pants are sagging with gold bars. Um, <laughs> It just like like whistle like doo, 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 as like you know a giant sack with a dollar sign on it is like he's like carrying it around, um, but I mean the Egyptians the Egyptian like the way the Americans have like sort of sort of ignored Egypt is I think it's a function of uh, how. How Egypt just no longer has the cachet it once did. It does, doesn't 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 have military strength. It doesn't have economic strength. There's nothing like its, its biggest strength would be population and you know uh, location. But like you know, you th- th- could just ring up Riyadh and tell Riyadh to tell Cairo to behave, and that's about it.
0: Yeah, it's like I don't want to get too angry here, but I think it. You know, the Egypt <laughs> the Egyptians since 19. 19- since Nasser's death have, I think, doomed the entire world. Like, I'm not sure if that's an exaggeration. I think they ruined the Cold War. They ruined the entire Middle East, definitely, you know. And they're enemies of all human liberation, quite honestly. Like, Anwar Sadat, I think, is a goddamn enemy of all of human flourishing. He destroyed everything. He gave away every ounce of leverage or dignity that, like, I would like right to
1: believe in, in a hell, because I would like to believe that Anwar Sadat would end up in it. Like, if if, if I could believe in, in a particular religion, I would want to believe in one with a hell that Enwar Sadat ends up in. Because of all the people that... I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say they ruined the world, but I definitely think they've made the Middle East an, an inconceivably worse place to be, like... Just, just over the like, you know, the post-Nasser uh, paradigm of the Middle East. There's no
0: dignity. He gave no. away dignity itself.
1: Well, you know? the, 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 the most the most telling thing was in '73 during the war. Like he was he was ringing up Kissinger and telling Kissinger to tell the Israelis not to worry and that the Israel and the Egyptians would never go past the mountain passes in the Sinai. He was telling the, he was he was essentially. Telling his uh, Kissinger the entire Egyptian battle plan, which is just to move to the, the mountains in the Sinai and hold, and even his own military, his own military advisors were like, "We got them on the run. We can move into Gaza at this point. We could continue the forward momentum, the offensive momentum." And he was, he told his military commanders to get bent, essentially. They because-
0: could have won, like they really could have won, and then he slaughtered. He he. He might as well have personally slaughtered the Syrian army. Oh, yeah. Abandoning them. Because, because, because once point, the
1: Israelis realized that the Egyptians weren't going to move past the mountain passes, then they could easily re- redeploy all of their forces in the, in the Jolan. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's a – That that also, I think, just totally
0: corrupted Syrian foreign policy. It became incredibly paranoid. Like it, it, I think that the, that goes directly into their interventions in Lebanon.
1: There's like, a famous picture of Hafez al-Assad. The moment he hears about uh, Sadat uh, making peace with uh, Israel, and it looks like he's about to have like an aneurysm.
2: He
0: didn't even want the war. He said, brother, Sadat, I know you get impulsive sometimes. We don't have to do this war. But if you do it, we're there.
1: You know. But Sadat what? needed Sadat needed that war. That's the thing, right? Sadat needed that war to legitimize himself because yeah, he had to keep
0: somebody from shooting him. How well yeah. that worked out.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, he bought himself what, uh, ten years or whatever it was. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I mean so there's there's a great book that I would recommend called Soldiers, Spies and Statements by Hasem Kandil. Um uh, the Basically shows that Sadat had no constituency of his own, right? Like because he was such a shapeshifter, he never had the loyalty of any particular branch of the army or the secret police or the military police or the domestic apparatus. Like no one really liked him, so he needed that war to at least bolster his own legitimacy. But he chose the most like the most minimal war aims. You could ever have like just take take the Suez, move into the Sinai, and then negotiate immediately, capitulate, and throw everyone else under the bus.
0: I just I don't I, you know, it's insane. And like you know, there can be a little bit blame for Nasser here. You know, forgive me, but like he did pick Sadat because he was the most boring tapioca motherfucker out there with no constituency.
1: You know, yeah, and- because he needed – because after there was that sort of – there was a big under, under sort of ob, ob, uh, obscured struggle between um, Nasser and then Abdul Hakim Amr, who was his chief of staff um, or um, uh, defense guy, whatever it was. The, I think it was chief of staff. Um, but there was this big sort of struggle um, between the two, um, on, like sort of – somewhat absurd, but especially the people around Abdul Hakim armor so like um uh what's his name uh yeah. uh basically the military intelligence guys who were who wanted to supplant Nasser with armor and then uh the the i think I think the failures of sixty seven made it such that Nasser needed someone who was pliable to be his v p because he was worried about like you know a coup essentially. And who's more pliable than Sadat?
0: Yeah, I think this is why. Uh, ideally, you always want to have a civil war. <laughs> you want to take care of these elements in the open. You want people to pick a side. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned you that, and games. I know
1: uh, you know we're laughing, but like, I'm, I'm uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm I'm struggling not to think of uh, the the success of the Bolsheviks being built on having you know cleared all of those elements within the Soviet Union, you know, like the Russian Absolutely. Civil War being a clearinghouse for for all sorts of... Or even of
0: like, like, you know, to bring it back to Palestine, like, I, I think the Second Intifada, can, it, it was essentially a three-front war, you know, between the Islamists, between Fatah, and uh, between Israel. And I'm not sure if those contradictions were resolved, but I think Fatah and their positions were made very clear. And I think, that nobody wants to see that level of internal violence again. And I think especially since the 2014 war and then especially after the 2019 war with the, with the development of the new groups like the lion's den, etc., like uh, generally nonpartisan organizations, like even like the Palestinian Islamic Jihad forces like in the West Bank are fairly nonpartisan. Um, I think that level of unity that was brought out of the conflict uh, in the second intifada, is is part of why things were so successful this weekend?
1: Yeah, I mean, seeing seeing PFLP guys with their red headbands. I know they're not a substantial force, but seeing them alongside, uh, uh, they
0: you know they've always they've always packed a, a punch bigger than their
1: size. Yeah, they know. punch no, above no their reach, I'll agree. Yeah, but you know, uh, I mean, we all agree that the Assam are the biggest uh, faction here. Um, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. yeah,
1: but seeing them fight together is uh, remarkable and impressive in that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, and that's another thing, I think, to, like, just be very clear about the conflict going on right now, is that it is not just Hamas versus Israel, like, it is a gigantic national front for liberation, there's, like, you know, fucking, I don't know, like, 40 groups that are all signed on to this, every single major player in Palestinian politics, except Abbas. Uh,
1: signed on. This is a big question, do you think Abbas even knows what's going on? I do feel he has dementia or some sort of senility, you know?
0: I have no idea. It's, I'm not sure if it would even matter.
1: Oh, of course it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't think – I, don't I think- just
0: mean like I don't know if there's a way to tell.
1: <laughs> oh, I <laughs> mean I've been saying the
0: same things over and over for so long. I'm not sure if anybody would notice even if you replaced him with like, like a Ferris Bueller's Day Off like arm tape recorder situation.
1: Or like a weekend at Bernie's. Just keep propping him up and like doing, doing mouth motion and being like, yeah, he's here. I think if
0: he starts doing stuff really, really cool, then we'll know that he has dementia. Yeah, I mean, uh, he... If he picks up a rifle, we'll know that he is definitely,
1: his brain is deteriorating. It would be so awesome if he picks up, a, like, like an AK-47, a few grenades, and, like, a pistol, and just, like, marches. without out
0: fighting, dude. He doesn't yeah. need a retirement, you know? He needs, to,
1: he needs to do the offensive version of Salvador Allende's, like, you know, last stand in the palace, essentially. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, hero Abbas. Let's give it six months. Let's see how it pans out. I I, I think yeah. we can make that prediction. I'll I'll put five dollars on the hero
1: Abbas. <laughs> I mean the PA, the PA, like that's that's another another result of all of this, is that I think the PA are gone now. Like they have no legitimacy anymore. I don't think no. Yeah. If they ever had any recently, but yeah.
0: I am very Like the nineties were a very, very bad time for national liberation, for socialist movements, for really anybody that had dreams of a better future. I do understand why they made the deal in the '90s. It was kind <laughs> well, of a trick perpetrated, you know. But, I don't know. I don't. They know wanted of- to go home. You
1: know, I, I am sympathetic
0: to that. Most of them have not been home in 30, 35
1: years of living, like, a guerrilla life. And, yeah, I you know. get it. I mean, I sympathize with Arafat's uh, concessions insofar as, you know, first, first you get kicked out of Jordan after Black September, and then you get kicked out of Lebanon, and you move. They get fucked off to fucking Tripoli or Tunis, I think it was. I know, yeah. yeah. And it's like, you just want to, yeah, you just want to, like, go home and rest for a bit. I get it, but... Yeah, I mean, I think I think the bigger question there in terms of the like you mentioned, you make a good point about the '90s being like a death knell for a lot of liberation movements um, in a lot of ways, and I think it goes back to our our the, the friend of the show, if I may say so, as a guest, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev. You know, like the yeah, fucking, oh my god, yeah, like
0: the, it, man. the collapse so of the Soviet right Union, him, not far, but right above that man. I've been reading fucking collapse. I think I mentioned it on the last episode. It. He's the dumbest motherfucker that's ever lived. Yeah, the collapse, the I think the collapse of the Soviet
1: Union, we're still living in its shadow. This like, Absolutely. Yeah. I think
0: all the wars in the Middle East are like the cleanup operation of that. The Middle East is really the only place where these like non-aligned socialist states like really survived. Yeah, uh, in yeah. Any, in any way, as deformed as they've become, you know, like, but. Jesus Christ it didn't have to happen. That's what I'm learning from reading Collapse is that it absolutely did not have to happen. He gave away the entire country and then beat it to death with a shoe.
1: Like Yeah, you know, and and for what? To get to get to star in a fucking Pizza Hut commercial. Like, all of that so that he could be in a Pizza Hut commercial. Jesus Christ.
0: So, like, I've thought about that, okay? And before reading this book, I thought the guy was just broke as shit after the collapse and, like, he really needed money. But I really do think that that was the happiest he's ever been. Somebody was finally nice to him while they were shooting that Pizza Hut commercial.
1: (laughs) Oh, uh, that's actually a good uh, – I like that theory. I really like that theory.
0: Like, um, imagine just, Sisyphus happy, you know, like he's, he was yeah. there. He worked so hard, for, so thanklessly destroying everything that anybody had ever loved. And then he finally got thanked with like $5,000 in yeah. a Rose Bowl commercial, which is oh – Oh, yeah. Things are dark. This, today's supposed to be a happy day yeah (laughs) but again let us not dwell on the crimes of the past no you know what let's keep
1: dwelling i I changed my mind i love dwelling yeah we were a despairing people. arabs arabs are a despairing we're both wildly optimistic and weirdly cynical at the same time yeah Uh,
0: absolutely
1: yeah like,
0: uh, you know, I remember, like, being young in the Iraq War or something, and my uncles be just, like, screaming, like,
1: we're nothing, we're fucking, we're
0: under the boot, it's all over, and then, like, ten minutes later, he's like, you know, one day I really do think all the Arabs are going to unite and free Palestine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no pause. Both of those things existed. Yeah, they both hold <laughs> equal people, weight and are equally
1: true, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the beautiful optimism. Yeah, I mean... I saw I saw someone post recently the like asking like where is the Ummah in all of this? Where is the Ummah in like, you know, uh, in defending Palestine? And that's a, that bothers me to be honest. That actually really bothers me because like I think I think the Ummah has a duty and an obligation for Palestine any more or less than like Costa Rica or Namibia or like any random aggregation of people have a duty to Palestine as a resistance against dispossession and occupation i don't think there's anything particularly special about i mean the, first of all Oma doesn't exist anymore That's any more than pan-arabism exists today um it's in my heart the the pan-arab is in my heart sure uh, it's, it's the friends we I, made i hear it
0: sometimes when i'm going to sleep when my when my heart rhythm gets a little
1: weird i think that's that's gamal do you, you know. yeah do you listen to gamal abdel Nasser speeches before you go to bed I I have in the past. You know. <laughs> <laughs> They're Uh-oh. good. He's a They're good orator. Really good. I'll give him that. He's a good yeah. orator. Yeah,
0: people love the guy. He was the king of the radio. You know, fucking fuck a fireside chat. You know, like this was this was some tough shit. He was he he, he went crazy. He would have been a fantastic podcaster if his heart didn't explode.
1: Yeah, Gamal, Gamal Abdel Nasser go on the Adam Friedland show. It would be hilarious. Oh my god. <laughs>
0: No, but uh, I do. I do know. Like I, I, do understand what you're saying, and like I do think Palestine is particularly important, even just so, sort of from like a self interested perspective of a lot of oppressed peoples around the world, because like Gaza is functionally like a portal to like training site for like new technologies and shit, like new surveillance technologies, new weapons, new chemical weapons, et cetera, et cetera. They're all tested in Gaza. Like that is like that is a thing that you can stamp on a weapon to get a higher price for it. And like guarantee its effectiveness is that it was trained on Palestinians, and and in addition to that, like policing tactics, like the bone breaking strategy of the first intifada, you saw that in America. Oh during, yeah, during the riots of the nineties, it was directly imported to the United States. The finger breaking, the bone breaking, the leg breaking—that was a direct transfer of Israeli technology. Um, and you know, for that for that reason alone, like the policing aspect, I think I, I think it is self interested to anybody who you know craves human flourishing,
1: that, you know, Palestinians should be free. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the training aspect, for sure, like you said, but also, like, even, like, physical arms, like, the manufacture of, like, tear gas, rifles, guns. Um, didn't, didn't the fucking, like, didn't the Israelis try to, like, sell a nuke to the apartheid South Africa at one they, point? They, yeah. they
0: probably did. The, the South Africans developed a nuclear program that was, like, I, I don't know how close...
1: Yeah, did they sell them the complete nuke or like just some tech practice? But again, like, you know. I think a lot of it. A- They
0: were instrumental. And then the South Africans in all their glory dumped the nukes into the sea to keep black people from having it, which I think is a similar situation that will befall Israel someday.
1: <laughs> I hope so. I mean. Uh, I would love an
0: Arab nuke. Only under Palestinians. I don't think anybody else can handle it. But,
1: <laughs> but. But, I mean, they also, the Israelis also have a Samson doctrine, which I think is insane as well. But, you know. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah like they 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 see I can't I can't understand how and aside aside from all the myriad things we've just discussed just the idea of selling nukes to apartheid south africa should make you anti israel by default.
0: They were close close allies they recognized it at the time. They recognized that we are brothers in the same project here. We are doing the exact this same is- fucking thing. You this have the Arabs, why... we have the black people. They're basically the same. What's yeah. the difference? Neither of them have Like Air this
1: Force. is what <laughs> yeah. bothers me. I mean, yeah. This is what bothers me. Like the they so the way the West, like the sort of Anglo West, whatever you want to call it, Europe, the European Union, North North America, the way it, it treats Israel and uses all of the, the coached la- like language and the propaganda and the sort of like you know, whereas Israelis themselves are very clear eyed about what they are and what they're doing. Yeah, we they're want like, to yes, kill all Rhodesia. Arabs. Yeah, we are <laughs> Rhodesia, and we're doing what Rhodesia is doing, and this is good actually. They're like, doing like
0: there's- Rhodesia right down to the fucking pin-up posters of their death
1: squads. You know. <laughs> yeah, I fucking uh, the other day, someone like one of the IDF people posted a picture of like this really old guy re-enlisting into the Israeli. He was um, in the Stern Army. Gang, which was a terrorist organization against the British and Arabs. He was in the Stern Gang at the Yassin during the Dera massacre, I'm or as saying, he called it the one of Yassin the Yassin most battle.
0: Impact. Yeah, that's that, that's what we call. It. Like, yeah, that's like yeah. that's one of the most impactful political massacres of the 20th century by far it is the the propagation of like the uh the pictures and the writing and the stories from the der yassin massacre contributed so heavily to the expulsion of palestinians because people were absolutely terrified of what went on there like they fucking like rounded palestinians up into trucks and made them drive over fucking landmines and shit you know they put people in cages and hit them with flamethrowers and shit it's like crazy they did shit that only went on in
1: the pacific theater during
2: yeah during the i mean this is,
1: i think i think a lot of people because um I, most people are very historically literate i think most yeah, people yeah. have um the ability to draw a map the way a medieval peasant does <laughs> um yeah. but like one of the things that i think is really uh uh interesting is how i think a lot of people just conceive of genocide the way the nazis did it so like concentration camps you know and the fucking gas chambers and all of that Genis historically, most genocides were you you make an example of a village or a one particular you know location. You make a, such a brutal example of it that people hear of it and just leave. That's that's how genocide historically yeah. works, yeah. right? So like yeah, Darius Asin was that version of that. Like you make you do something so brutal that you know that the news will percolate to other populations that you want to scare into leaving, and just by them hearing of it, they will flee because you know, no one wants to experience that.
0: Yeah, and they did. Like yeah, and you know, particularly like. I don't know. This is just kind of an aside. But during 1948, one thing that's not really talked about very much is the lack of water. It was a very dry period. The wells were dry. So a lot of these people, like, you know, on forced marches functionally to wherever the fuck, you know, they could go. Whether it was, you know, some people made it from boats, uh, on boats from Haifa. But, like, my mom's family, like, walked from Haifa (laughs) until they could, like, get on a bus in, like, like, Jordan basically. Like, they walked, like, fucking, I don't know how many miles that is. It's not a huge country, but it's, it's plenty of miles to walk. You know, and, like, I don't know, my uncle fell down a well trying to get water. It's its actually, uh, actually, it was his father, my, my great uncle. Um, he, uh, or grandfather, great grandfather. Well, I don't know. Whatever. But either way, he he crawled down a very very empty well in 1948 and was passing up some water. He got one bucket. They had one bucket with them. It was like 30 something people who had all fled uh, from Lida. Um, and he's crawling in the well, and the rope breaks, and he falls, and everybody thinks he's dead, and they start moving onward. But he, like, he, call, he wakes up, and he calls out, and they get him out of there. And the crowd immediately takes the bucket from him, because they're all, like, dying of dehydration. And he just has, like, his kafia that's, like, fucking soaked in water, and that's what he gives to his family. Very, very,
1: uh... It's a very biblical. Story, very theoretical. Kind of very yeah, biblical yeah, o- overtone.
0: Yeah, yeah. I very uh,
1: Surat Yusuf, actually. Yeah, you can but, yeah. get Mel
0: Gibson to play him or whatever, or whoever the guy who played Jesus in that one <laughs> was. Uh,
1: yeah, I think it was Mel Gibson with the one. But then also, Mel Gibson has very interesting opinions about Jewish people. Yeah, so I, I, don't should not, I should him.
0: not. Uh, let's go with Kurt Russell.
1: Yeah. Kurt Russell or, would make yeah. a great Palestinian. Unless him, too. No. Nah. <laughs> no, Hassan Masoud, man. Let's bring Hassan Masoud back. Uh for anyone who's listening i i endorse kingdom of heaven as the greatest movie you were telling uh, me about this
0: uh i've been trying to get my girlfriend to watch it she is not very interested i think i might just go watch that tonight
1: um (laughs) yeah first of all director's cut don't watch the theater okay that's very important information thank you yeah this is one of those this is one of those situations where like the difference is very 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 tangible um, I'm so a definitely big believer cut. in the director's cuts like I figure the director knows oh absolutely comedy, you know? like, I mean yeah <laughs> if, if, if the movie is a work of art from, from the director I think the thing the differences are always like the studios right and I don't trust studios by default no, no, so absolutely. I'm always trusting yeah um, but yeah Ghassan play plays Salah Haddin in Kingdom um, of Heaven and he has such a like gravitas such a like a uh, presence on the screen when he shows up. First of all, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it for you. Message me when you watch it. But yeah, he is so incredible in it. <laughs> okay. like, he has this. Yeah. I, w- I will watch that tonight,
0: assuming that I'm not too busy reading the news all night. But
1: yeah, no, I'm. I'm yeah, by... I, 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 I would say you, you're watching it. Like I know you're probably distracted by the news, but it's one of those movies that you need to sit down and watch and like really cool. absorb. Cool. It's not like a background movie,
0: man. Yeah, so, uh, actually, I wanted to talk about the news. The first couple days were filled with news. There was so much news. A lot of it very good. Um, But today, it's just been nothing. Like, the last two days, almost, there's been no news. I haven't really heard from my family in the West Bank, like, at all. Like, I think the internet's probably cut. At least Facebook is banned or, like, shut down right now. Um, You know, like, my, my, uh, my great uncle lives there, and I talk to him a lot. And, like, you know, old people, they love Facebook. So I figure so oh, yeah. I figure something's not this, quite right. Does your, right wait Did
1: your great uncle share uh minion memes, but it's like Palestinian resistance minion memes? No, no. That- he's actually
0: he's like a fantastic poster. Like he does not post cringe, he just posts pictures of the babies in the family. Like
1: <laughs> Oh, he's he's that's like that's good. That's healthy, it's nice. It's like healthy, normal, brain of just like pictures of the family being like uh this is great. No, um, yeah. Like yeah, some of not-
0: my some of my like Christian family in the US, they'll they're kind of minionized, but I I think that's more due to american influence
1: than anything else um yeah Uh, again going back to and and collapse like imagine like how how fucking horrifying and humiliating is it that gorbachev's gorbachev's uh like you know the his his actions leading to the collapse of the soviet union essentially was a small domino that topples over everything and now like Uniform culture is just American culture. It's Marvel and Minion memes. And he was so about
0: it. He would love Minion memes. He was such a Minion poster, dude. He was such a fucking fucking piece of shit. What an idiot. I I think he's actually stupid. I think he was the type of stupid where everybody just thinks he's agreeing with them because he's just so fucking dull. He can't like think of an original thought. He's just really good at nodding. I think that's how he rose to power.
1: I mean, he's 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 the type of dullard who, yeah, like, I think... I, I mean, I don't think he just nods. I think he's one of those people that, like, impresses people by uh, – he's basically, like, Soviet Jordan Peterson in <laughs> that he probably uses, like, big words, a lot of fucking rambling sentences. I think he sentences. was. am about
0: halfway through the yeah. book. Because
1: like, um... I, I know he was a big fan of Lenin, but he took all the wrong lessons. Oh, my like, God. Like, he took – yeah, he, he, asked, like, he was a scholar of Lenin, but in the way where, like, he seems to have completely ignored all of the actual lessons from Lenin and just – like did the opposite of whatever Lenin would have done
0: like I in the past I, I have been the type of asshole who if I'm arguing with somebody I'm just like just read, fucking read Lenin I'm not doing this right now and maybe you shouldn't maybe, it'll tra- <laughs> maybe you do need to explain it yeah, to people yeah.
1: <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe Gorbachev was told when he was a kid someone like argued with him was like read Lenin. He's like, okay, he reads Lenin and he does all of that. I'm about
0: halfway through the book, and for the whole half of the book, he's thinking up new crazy ideas on political freedom by just reading Lenin constantly and writing extremely long papers. And then about halfway through the book, the Soviet Union has not collapsed yet. He just goes, ah, Lenin was in a different context.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. What
0: what I'm not wrong. Lenin's wrong. You
1: know? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is horrific. I mean, uh, but to go back to your point about the news. Um, I don't know. Do you think no news is good news at this point? Because I imagine uh, any news would be bad insofar as the Israelis are retaliating. So no news means that what? We're at stalemate right now or something. I don't. Or at know. least like. A, I don't. I mean, know. I know. I know. I know. In terms of Gaza, like you know, they've pretty much been carpet bombing it day and night for the yeah, past five days. Yeah, it's been
0: absolutely horrific.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, but so. In a conventional war between two, like, near peers or something, I would say no news probably means it's a stalemate. But, like, in this situation where Israel controls all of the media functionally, uh, and it's not allowing media into Gaza at the moment, unless they're coming from the Egyptian side. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily blame a journalist for not going into Gaza right now, but uh, – I don't know if it means anything. I think Israel, like today, all the news of like attacks coming in from the north, settlers fleeing, whether these are cyber attacks by Palestinians triggering alert systems or what have you, I think Israel has been boxing its shadows all day. Like they've, they've, Apparently started shelling in Syria, attacks in the north. There's been so many friendly fire incidents, it looks like a fucking civil war. I think Israel is incapable right now of acting right and not starting a regional conflict. That's kind of where I
1: see things going on right now. Well, I mean, the problem is that they've pretty much been given the green light to do just that by the Americans it's insane, in the EU. I, like, like, am I, I, like, whatever moderating the, influence the US would have has been completely thrown out the window when they moved in there. They sent an aircraft, aircraft carrier. carrier. What the
0: fuck? Yeah. Am I, like, I, I think that I'm fairly critical of the US government, okay? Like, but I'm constantly surprised at the depravity. Constantly. I'm never not surprised at the depravity. They always go lower than I could have ever imagined and this is it. Their plan to just ethnically cleanse Gaza? Who? What the fuck, dude? What kind of people do they have running that joint? Do they literally take every Arabist and shoot him in the back of the head in the Iraq war? Like, do they not know what's Probably. going on? Oh my god. Yeah. I
1: mean, <laughs> if, if, we, if we if we accept that Biden is is senile, which I more or less accept, yeah, yeah. then I imagine who like the people running things are like, you know, Sullivan and fucking Blinken and uh, Ned Price and uh, the freaks at the Pentagon and all of those, like, ghouls to yeah I think I think you know at the very least they're like well this is strategically important and at the very most they're like yes kill more of them this is good actually and it's so uh,
0: ideological too like I don't know I we've talked about this in the past how like Israel's importance in the Middle East is not really what it once was like the fact that Israel didn't intervene in Iraq says like a lot about their status of a as a um unthinkable aircraft carrier you know like they're so hated and so reviled in the region that they cannot actually be used in police actions they can only be used to like torture already destroyed states like syria and lebanon
1: you know the u.s actively discouraged israel from participating in iraq one in 91 like israel was ready to participate like they're like please don't uh, because they realized you know they would have they were they were prepared especially because at the time like saddam was considered like the big the big bad um, and you know, and all that, and like he Saddam actually wanted the Israelis to participate because he calculated that. If the Israelis participated in in ninety one um, in Gulf, I think it was Gulf Storm um, or a no, Desert Storm. Sorry, Desert Storm. Uh, it's been a long day. Uh, if 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 the Israelis participated in Desert Storm, then it would at least mobilize significant segments of the population against the coalition. Yeah, and the Saudis probably wouldn't with. have
0: just given them a thousand air bases. You know, if Israel had
1: the Saudis would have resisted, the fucking uh, Egyptians would have been um, a lot less. Amenable to participating. Uh, Yeah, H.W. Bush had to do a lot of fucking dancing around to keep A, keep the Israelis out, and consequently B, keep the Saudis and Egyptians out. Well, there is
0: one place where he didn't have to do that much dancing around. That's our motherfucker Gorbachev.
1: (laughs) He just gave him the Middle East. uh, God damn it, Yeah, fucking – uh, let, letting, like, not vetoing the Security Council resolutions and just, like, letting, like, like uh, Gorbachev sending Shevardnadze in there and just Shevardnadze like,
0: yeah, Shevard just... is a fucking piece of shit, dude. Absolute oh, psycho-liberal guy. He,
1: oh, my God. You know, I can't... <laughs> I, yeah, and, where like, is, he, where they... is, Where is a drop-off when you need him? Oh, my fucking God. Fucking just...
0: Yeah. Yeah, dude. That was the hero. That's the hero of collapse. The one guy who t- could tell Gorbachev to shut the fuck up.
1: It was oh my God. yeah and yeah he, by the time by the time 91 happens like yeah gorbachev is like yeah sure i mean i i don't i don't necessarily blame the chinese for not vetoing because at that point it was like pure dengism and pure dang dang uh revival and like you know yeah the poor steam of soviet split china's friends with america now we all love my dad know, was a definite
0: uh, like a partisan for the soviets especially well uh you know i've like historically throughout my life i've generally taken a uh position of neutrality in the sino-soviet split but the you know reading conflicting missions and that kind of thing the chinese did not cover themselves in glory in their foreign involvement or in- interventions in the latter half of the 20th century it was you know, very dark uh, but my dad had something yeah. very some funny to say about the dflp which is uh they're fighting today they're you know
1: they are covering themselves in glory um how many fucking soldiers does the FLP have? I thought. I mean, if the PFLP was small, how many does the FLP have? Five I imagine guys? the
0: PFLP is like in the thousands, and the DFLP is probably in the low hundreds, is what I would think. That's just completely so, out of my ass, though. Like, I you know, I don't. The, no, nobody's the DFLP telling me is hundreds. like.
1: I imagine the DFLP is like uh, one of those comedy movies about just guys hanging out and having a good time. They know? are. Just, just they the are. Fellas.
0: My dad. My dad yeah. was like a big PFLP guy and the uh not a big PFLP guy but like he was into the PFLP um don't kill me please uh, <laughs> uh and his best friend was a DFLP guy and they just spent 50 years arguing
1: <laughs> functionally um <laughs> basically a Sino-Soviet split but your dad's friendship Yeah,
0: absolutely like my dad like just turning his apartment into like a political headquarters <laughs> for like rallies and he's like it's not even my party i can't feed all these people <laughs> Uh, But he said about the DFLP, which I thought was a little bit mean girl, he was like – and I'm like, how did the DFLP deal with the Sino-Soviet split or like the fall of Mao and the rise of Deng? And my dad said, um, you know, they adapted very quickly to the Chinese position. (laughs) They were very quick to change
1: their positions to keep in line with the Chinese. Uh (laughs) That's that's what bugs me a lot about the, the the parties that took the Chinese split to the Chinese side in the split, and that with the with the parties that were Soviet aligned, a lot of them had no problem, you know. Not necessarily towing Soviet party lines. Yeah, like the Cubans. More...
0: For fucking its, yeah. you
1: know, very independent. The, the Cubans went into Angola before the fucking Soviets did. Like the Soviets had to, like, save their own face by going into Angola after the I Cubans. I think
0: what we're doing right now is upsetting so many more people than anything we said about Palestine.
1: <laughs> what, the <seat> of Soviets?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think our position, I think we're pissing off a lot more people right now than anything we could say about Palestine, judging by my listenership. <laughs>
1: Well, are your listenerships just Maoists? No, or what?
0: just uh, just annoying communists. That's that's the majority. Yeah, of our I mean,
1: nothing nothing is more uh, on brand than than just being schismatics.
0: Yeah, that is true. Yeah, so yeah, the uh, the, the the DFLP groups, um, they're not known necessarily for the DFLP is a very interesting group. They're they're one of the first groups that I like really read about. Like, there is a Puerto Rican holiday dedicated to their massacre at the Laud Airport. Are you aware Whoa. of
1: this? Yeah. This is this is new to me.
0: Yeah, they killed like fifty people at the lot Airport one time in the 70s, with the help of the Japanese Red Army, mind you. Uh one of which oh, one man, of the Japanese, Japanese is, perpetrators.
1: Deep cut. Japanese Red Army is deep cut. The that Japanese, awesome.
0: I, I'm not gonna say they were they didn't you know, I'm not gonna blame the Japanese for anything, but they got really into Palestine. They got into Palestine with the trademark Japanese dedication. <laughs>
1: They got, yeah, they say what you will about the Japanese, but once they believe in something, they, they really so go all hard.
0: out. Oh my god! And one yeah. of them um, just returned to Japan. Actually, uh, just got out of prison. I think like the sentence expired. Yeah,
1: I saw that. I I I didn't really follow the details, but yeah, like they were released like like just like last year or yeah, something. Yeah, and,
0: and I think one other one lives in Lebanon and is married to a uh, Palestinian guy. I think. And my dad, my dad always, he's like, oh man, these foreigners, they fucking loved us. Like, we were shocked. Like, they were better than the Palestinians. Like, all these random foreigners showed up, like the East Germans and shit. Like, he was like, I wish we had more of them. Like, (laughs) they were really dedicated. Like, damn, dude. Like, we live here and you guys are really into it. (laughs) Um,
1: yeah, wasn't wasn't Carlos the Jackal like a friend of yours? Like a friend of the DFLP or the PFLP? Not me. I, I do not was. know
0: Carlos the Jackal. I want to make that ext- <laughs> extremely, extremely clear. Absolutely not.
1: But, <laughs> but you and you, you in the general says not even clear. Yeah, yeah not <laughs> you, you people. You mean you, you people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you people. Out of the Palestinians, yeah. like Carlos the Jackal helped the Palestinians. And yeah, stuff. my yeah. dad.
0: My dad. I don't think ever met him. My dad's dead, so I can talk about this now um so but
1: <laughs> well first of all i'm sorry about yeah it's extremely tragic
0: but uh now the, i can the, tell the, all the, of the, his the, really awesome stories um, which is very cool and he kept it very tight lipped i still don't know most of his life he he fought in at least two countries like lebanon and palestine and um he said no uh, he told me that he went to south yemen to train some of their special forces he also went um he went on a diplomatic mission to the gdr one time And he met, he was like the young, young buck they brought with them and he made friends with his Soviet counterpart. Yeah, yeah. He made friends with his Soviet counterpart. Him and the other, his Soviet counterpart just started getting shit, like just got shit faced at the meeting they brought my dad along because I think
1: he, they knew he could handle his drink or something
2: <laughs> to, to, yeah, to this, this, the Soviets
1: I, we need to bring that back see this is another thing another thing that pisses me off about like the modern uh, world of the paradigm is like it used to be that like foreign relations was you just hanging out with a bunch of guys and get shit faced yeah like, absolutely you know, now we got fucking
0: uh, Anthony Blinken hanging out and just like snorting SSRIs
1: and shit you know like I'm a- playing like the worst guitar you've ever seen in oh your life oh my god I
0: saw that that's so fucked dude the indignity yeah <laughs> the Digging yeah. me of being oppressed by that man. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I, say what you will, but at least it used to be that, like, you know, foreign policy was you hanging out with James Jesus Angleton and having, like, 18 martinis by, like, 12 o'clock. Yeah, noon. like, I,
0: I feel like Kissinger could probably kill a man, you know? I do not think Blinken could throw a punch,
1: you know? like Yeah, no. We're not sending our best. Kissinger would have some story, at the very least. He'd have some awesome stories, whereas, like, yeah. Yeah, I don't think uh, Blinken could
0: uh, his dick up. Like, I really don't. Like, he, he I think he's seriously low-T. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i really don't like the guy uh, i really do <laughs> yeah he he, he he just he, he uh how do you say he he gives me like the shivers in a weird way Where i'm like this guy like i imagine like down there he's like he has like a barbie doll like just flat
0: he's like, like an messing. indie rock musician Like he's like a danger to people around him. Like he's a guy at the indie rock concert that you would warn people against, like being near.
1: You know, like he's the guy in college who would whip out his guitar to play, like like Imagine Dragons.
0: Absolutely. I thought you were gonna hate on my uh, on my boys, uh, whoever did Oasis. Wonderwall. Yeah.
1: You know. Now, Wonderwall, respect, respect, Wonderwall.
0: Thank you. Classic, man. (laughs) Thank Thank you, I didn't want to have to kick you off. I can I can cut your mic at any point. I wanted to make that very clear.
1: No, I, I support. I support uh, vertical uh, power structures. I support this uh, party discipline. Thank you. Yeah, this is a democratic centralist Which We Central should talk about interview. if you want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um,
0: so, so fellow listeners, I'm sure you've heard. Uh, he's done a few interviews. Vincent Bevins, the author of the Jakarta Method, that details the uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, politicide genocide, uh, conducted with U.S. aid in Indonesia in the 1960s, 1956. 67. 67. Um, Yeah. uh, And Vince Bevins has come out with a new book called uh, If We Burn, which is all about the protest movement, the horizontalist structures that became very in vogue in the uh, 2010s. And uh, I don't know if you know this about me, listeners, but I was the most horizontalist motherfucker for about 10 years. Uh, I, you know, I lived in tried to organize through three or four different really big conflagrations. And I felt like I learned a lot of stuff, but I felt, you know, I feel like a lot of people did not And and that's what this book is about. It details, you know, some of the failures and some of the successes of these horizontalist movements And uh, the book essentially makes the argument for a return to Lenin. Um, what have you been thinking about in regards to these protest movements?
2: Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I, I, uh, I was in high school during the Bahrain. Um, I, I hate to call it the Arab Spring, and you know, the Vincent so-called Arab Spring. <laughs> I like, I like everything like, the so-called Arab Spring. Um, the Bahrain equivalent of that the regional like, uh, the fuck up plan, is generally
0: what I refer to it as. I know you have a yeah, little bit of a, I mean, uh, a brighter perspective on the matter,
1: though. Yeah, I mean, I, I see it as as a 1905 moment versus a 1917, but that's. Optimistic. That's that very, very optimistic. That's, yeah. that's shockingly I mean, I optimistic for you. I like it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> not on brand. I mean, but no, but Vin, Vincent does cover behind in the book, which I think is really nice. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, uh, first of all, I mean, obviously. Every every time – one of the reasons I hate the Arab Spring as a moniker is because each country had local grievances that were – there was there were common threads, but each country also had local grievances that were not similar to other countries. The only um, thread local... is that
0: they all hated their governments. These were wildly different governments. That Like the governments oh, yeah. of I mean, Bahrain and no, is... fucking Syria are opposites. They, like, you know, like you can't get much yeah. more different than the Arab socialist states in the fucking kingdoms. Like they're not – Yeah, of course. Rated. I mean they're the only – Whatever – The only thread
1: is A, they hated their governments and B – it was, quote, unquote, horizontally organized, sort of like, you know, take the public square and stay there until until there's a change in, in government or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if uh, I'm reading this book. It just reinforces my absolute commitment to like Leninist ideas. I think I was I was on the same boat as you in that during that period I was very into horizontalism and like you know Bro, I was making um, so much
0: I- consensus. I was like the consensus chef. They brought me in there to build consensus. I would get airdropped into the kitchen at Food Not Bombs to be like, you know what? No, dare honey say- is vegan. I'm i am I'm 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 laying the law down, okay? We we are deciding honey is vegan. We are we are operating off of that framework now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I had I had a weird political uh, growth uh, trajectory in that I was a Ron Paul guy in high That's school. So funny. and then, I cannot imagine that. Uh, well, I mean, he was he was the first one to like really articulate like a non. I mean, obviously, he was probably not not, not honest about this, but a non-intervention sort of. Um, General non-intervention when it comes to America. Yeah, were
0: you smoking a lot um, of weed too? <laughs>
1: did that help? <laughs> not at the time. Not in Bahrain. Not that time. No. I was, I was eye on the prize, trying to get my parents' trust to immigrate to go to college abroad. Nice. So I was like, be a good boy, so that you could go abroad and then smoke weed, get drunk, and get laid. Yeah, I that was like, you know, I, eye on the fucking. Yeah, I
0: wish um, I did that. But- that would be great. <laughs>
1: uh i i mean but yeah like i think i think you know the the tyranny of structuralist the, the essay that uh bevins in the book yeah I, the failures the intrinsic failures of all of these movements because of their structuralist i think i i moved towards leninism more later than that i think it was 2017 17, when i was more my moved from at that point you know anarchist leftism to like a more of a like you know, we need some some. Hey, first of all, we need state. Yeah, you know, I kind of Americans like. Think
0: I kind of like formulated Lenin just by experience, just like they did at the time. Just like going from like nineteen oh five to the Soviets. Like mm-hmm. I basically just lived that and through trial and error. Like at one point I just was like calling myself like a, like jokingly, but like an anarcho-Stalinist. Cause I'm like, you know, we do need some structure guys. We do, we may not need an intermediary period, but I think we are going to, we can't just have consensus for everything. We need to start up more kitchens. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean like, like, yeah, the, the, the crux of the book and I haven't finished it yet. I'm like halfway through, but the crux of the book and of what I think really is important there is power leftists of the post 68 era post you know even like you know the the, the disease that affected leftists after the, the the tanks went into hungary in 56 and then the the apex of that was the 68 and the free love and all of that crap i think that afflicted leftists with the disease of allergy to power it was much it was much nicer to like just be forever critical but on the outside than you know in the inside changing things because power is fucking messy. Power is disgusting. Power is, is at the end of the day, like you have to put your hand in the muck and like do things that might not turn out. Yeah, You got to stake
0: everything on it. You, there's like a real bad odds. There's just bad odds to power. You know, yeah.
1: yeah, but if you're if you're serious, you have to just take those odds and then go in and, and do what you must, right? Like, And that's what I think the crux of the book really highlights the failures of these movements. Like, you know, uh, the one that the, – the, the, I'm paraphrasing here because the book is not beside me right now. But the, the one moment when he he, he discusses how uh, when the Egyptians had the choice, right, they could either go to Tahrir or they could go and like, you know, into the TV uh, studio or the, the radio Yeah, the
0: communication network.
1: Yeah, seize communications networks, See the Ministry of Interior, like, actually do a power seizure as such. Like, you know, the, the equivalent of the the Bolsheviks storming the Winter Palace in, in October. Like, you know, they chose the square because it, at the end of the day... They, and I don't blame them because they were doing what what most like like most people do what they what they're taught to do or what they learn to do yeah. from previous experiences the, the cultural you know, the
0: they're like yeah
1: so what what I think the cultural that, memory the, yeah. the cultural memory of of you know previous uh, tribes. you just sort of know you do what you know that you've
0: is done before. that is quite honestly my main critique of the horizontalist model is the institutional memory like. Yes. You know, I got into stuff like or kind of. Young. Yes. Yeah. I got into stuff like kind of young, mm. like a little, like a little bit after Occupy, before 2014, though. Uh, like the Michael Brown shooting, uh, and like the stuff that came out of that. And by like, by like 2016, after really, really trying the horizontal shit, like I was like a really hardcore like anarchist motherfucker. Like. Oh, same. I, same. Yeah. I saw it's a bad to admit. But yeah. It is. But I was, I was great at it. Let, let me say. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, I was cool. I was I was a cool young guy. I'm so
1: I'm so I'm so so glad I didn't get the A tattoo. Oh a my god! So many. I that, spent
0: I so much so time thinking really about it. it. But I was like so dedicated. I'm like any money that I would put towards the tattoo, I should put towards the cause.
1: <laughs> uh. <laughs> that is awesome. That is sick. That is awesome, dude. Straight that up. is fucking awesome. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, like and and by like the second or third conflagration or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Then the next the next um. Crisis point—the next moment of tension. I saw people coming in and not learning from the mistakes. People were starting at square one that had been started at Occupy. I saw the cycle as people burnt out from the Occupy era, like a lot, when I got into it. A lot of the guys were older from Occupy and that kind of thing, like a lot of the older guys. Um, and by by the time they kind of cycled out, I saw that we kind of just started at square one. When nobody, people learned by doing, not necessarily learning from history, and that I think is like the really key thing to the horizontalist model is that like you need to, you need to be able to learn from history. You cannot just learn yes. through trial and error because it took 250 years from like the Paris commune to the first and second internationales to learn all of those lessons, you know? Um,
1: and I, yeah, I just don't I mean, think you can the thing, do that right? through
0: individual experience.
1: That's, that's where, that's where Leninist idea of a vanguard party of like, a a disciplined cadre that you know dedicate their their time and energy and resources to to you know learning from history essentially learning from history and applying those lessons um to to the to the current moment the current you know predicament and the current movement um and then you know as like, you know, there's this party discipline, there's this disciplined cadre, this vanguard, and then people uh, that, that orbit around that, that understand the need for this. They understand that, you know, like the work, the, the, the Soviet workers or at the point, you know, the, the workers in the Russian Empire, the, the, the peasants, the workers, the uh, soldiers. They understood that not all of them are going to spend all time reading fucking Marx and you know. I all really did
0: think people would
1: do that. That's a problem, right? I know. People are, I, think, I think I've learned – Do you know how many copies
0: like, of the bread book I ordered in high school? I ordered like 200 copies.
1: Oh, man. You must have just been I, handing it out to like I, I was the most annoying guy on earth. I can't. Dude. <laughs> uh, fucking uh, on a on a related note, I'm gonna go back to my original point, but on a related note, um the other day when I was in the Palestine Solidarity rally in Toronto, um there was you know, it was it was a pretty pretty big turn up, quite impressive. One of the things that I, I, I laughed at was at all, at all rallies and protests in Toronto, there's always a trot, the local trot, and as you always, they were selling newspapers, which I think is awesome. Dude, I have like, a system. Respect. I have a
0: system. I was with Food Not Bombs. Uh, you know, I still do a little bit of work with Food Not Bombs, not as much anymore. I've kind of uh, after COVID started, I kind of fell off of things. But like, I, I had a, I collect trot newspapers, but I never buy them. <laughs> I trade them food. I'm like, you guys want the soup that we
1: made? like it costs a dollar. Well, so you're I'm, like, bar- Bro, I'm you're- broke. I will give you this so you've apple. Full anarcho-primitivist. You've done barter. I've returned to a barter right? system,
0: only in for- respects to Trotskyists.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, I mean, speaking of like a, a complete lack of institutional memory. Yeah. Like trots are doing the same strategy they've they've been failing at for the past hundred years, and you know. I don't see any any, uh, trot, you know, power. If anything, they uh, might have David. a little
0: bit too much memory. They're still really mad about like 1930.
1: <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. I mean, they're they're they don't have a lack of individual memory. It's just that there's like their their development was arrested in 1930 and just stayed there forever. Um, yeah, I mean. Uh, It it, like you know how when I when I was working full time, um, and I was talking to my coworkers, and then I ended up being part of the union, um, like you know, like as as a steward and everything. Mm -hmm. um, One thing that I realized was was, like university, or no, no, this was when I was working at a hospital in Toronto as an admin assistant. Yeah, Um, and we were unionized, which is great. but like looking at my coworkers, because I was the youngest in the, in the in the office, and I was like, you know, I got I got the job like a year out out, out of college, and and all of my coworkers were like middle aged moms with like young kids, like like two or three kids, grades uh, kindergarten through grades three, four, five, um, you know, like. And, you know, they they, they come to work, they commute from the suburbs, come to work, go home, get their kids from school, after school programs, the usual suburban routine, right? And, you know, you can't expect these people to read, like, fucking Marx or fucking Lenin or whatever. That's why you need to have discipline. You need to have a party and a cadre that dedicates themselves to this. And then... Uh, and, uh, and a sort of consensus around it or not, not consensus that's, the, that's a bad one but like a, a uh a
0: shared understanding
1: yeah a shared understanding that you know that we trust we trust in this vanguard to do the historical research and application for us and we we absorb that not, not, not to say that the workers are imbeciles and they can't read or anything. no but like we're workers
0: that's like that's the thing. Like we're also workers. Like being a communist doesn't elevate you to bourgeois status, you know? Like people don't have faith in themselves. And I think, you know, that's like a pretty major part of it. I think a lot, like a lot, like, so historically all communist movements, most of them started with a majority of middle-class nerds. That's just how it starts. And you have to move past that. You have to get past that and show people that you have a plan, that you're serious, that they can change something. You know, and I think so many people get caught up in the like, ah, man, my parents had two cars, you know, that means I can't lead. That means I can't tell anybody what to do ever, you know, like, and, and so it leads them to these horizontalist things because they don't feel that one, that they can win. There's no real self-serious possibility of change. And two, it's they, you know, they don't believe themselves to be capable of uh, understanding or speaking for like a mythical worker.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Then that's a really good point. I think there's this. This uh, mythification, this 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 like weird imagination of like unless unless you have like blue overalls and a hard hat and you go to work with a lunch pail, like you're not a real worker, quote unquote. Like we're all we're all intellectual bourgeoisie compared to this mythical platonic ideal of a worker that never never it's never quite real. It's always just it's out, just out, out there, of right? reach. It's just out of reach. Yeah. Of you. No matter how fucked you are, yeah. It's just out of reach. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and like and, – and the other side of that is I would, I would say it's not, it's not even just that they're they're, um, uh, not able to take power. I would argue they're afraid of taking power because like you said, like taking power implies decision-making and these people seem completely averse to decision-making. Because it takes uh, a faith. On, on a, it
0: takes a faith in your own capabilities and, and a faith yeah. in your methods and your ideology to take power. And I, I think that seriousness is extremely lacking. Yes, absolutely. and I think it's been lacking. for I mean, seventy-five years,
1: <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, at least in the West, it, 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 I should say. It's been, it's been, yeah, and and there's, and again, to go back to an earlier point we made, you know, we're we being great at like running themes and like you know, mm-hmm. uh, we're very serious people. We know how to do themes and absolutely. Um, like you know, it goes back to how we're all living in the shadow of the Soviet Union right now. Like whether whether you were for it or against it, but like we're all in this shadow of like you know the Soviets, and then in particular, uh, the the Stalin to Khrushchev turn, right? The the hell, the I, I heard that as hell. Yeah, the de oh, yeah. of the Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah, and 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 all that entails, which which is basically actually, it's an interesting comparison because like. Uh, it, it, it was the 56 and, and sending the tanks into Hungary was to leftists worldwide what, like, um, supporting Palestine is today, where, like, you have to caveat everything you say by condemning a particular thing that, like, Well we you know, do like,
0: it, d- disavow the Soviets in Hungary, we would like one dollar
1: a day in Yes. Yeah. yeah, essentially. Yeah, which is the same thing with Hamas Syria and everything. Yeah, it's like we have to start everything by caveats and I'm like this, this it, it, you just reject the premise. The, these these are not intellectually serious people that you're dealing with like that you have to condemn these things uh, to. Like the entire premise is fucking false as it was. And that was the problem the leftists never learned after '56 and Hungary is like why why do you feel like you have to fight on the turf of the non like the non left the, the the intellectually dishonest i mean you know we can, this is a topic for a whole other episode or episodes of like you know the, the the same the same people who are asking you to condemn the soviet union and hungary are the same people who are doing gladio to you who are doing fucking you know like assassinations and and that, are asking you to fucking
0: you know disavow the palestinians beheading and eating 60 children yesterday like it's the there are historical parallels here no the same people exist in every time you know until the yeah. classes are destroyed these same people are going to keep self-replicating they exist they're going to keep saying the exact same bullshit that they've been saying since 1830 you know they were saying the same thing to whatever fucking czechoslovak the national movement was popping up in 1848 you know like th- th- things have not changed that much you you really learn that when yeah. you read
1: history is that time <sighs> yeah Time is a flat circle, but it just gets more and more
0: absurd and stupid. Yeah, I do think we are definitely like a historical low point of human <laughs> oh, absolutely. Flourishing. Um, but I think we're coming out of it. I really do.
1: Um, y- well, knock on wood because I keep saying it can't get any worse and then – Somehow it does. You know, it,
0: it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? <laughs> All right. Well, Amr, I think this is a great place to head off. Um Listeners, uh, please check out Amr's Substack. We'll have that linked in the comments. It's a great read and definitely check out Amr's previous appearances on radio Warner. And might I add, uh, Amr has a now dormant, but, uh, potentially returning podcast, uh, Das criminal, like Das capital, but criminal. It's kind of a true crime podcast with a focus on historical and political events. I really enjoy it. It's definitely worth a, uh, a Patreon payment, uh, to get access to the backlog. Uh, that's initially how I found out about Amr, um, any final words,
1: Alvin? Thank you very much. Anything you want to tell the people? Uh, no, just uh, please, please, please read Lenin, um, But not the Gorbachev way. Just read Lenin. Read it in a like
0: way. a normal way,
1: like a normal guy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, solidarity with Palestine, and hopefully uh, the news that comes out tomorrow is good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we can only hope. Uh, and you know how we end the show every week? It's uh, free Palestine, fuck the police. That's a wrap. Well, like we sing it or no, what? No, that was the end of the show. We're done now. Oh. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> this is for Palestine, Ramallah, West Bank, Gaza. This is for the child that is searching for an answer. Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter. Long live Palestine, long live Gaza. Palestine, Ramallah, West Bank, Gaza. This is for the child that is searching for an answer. Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter. Long live Palestine. While we listen to tunes made by ignorant fools, Israel blocked the UN from delivering food. They bring in the troops and you won't even glimpse of the news. They make money off the products that we're quick to consume. And it's not simply a question of differing views. Forget emotions, this is facts. What I spit is the truth. Makes no difference if you're a Christian or if you're a Jew. They're just people living in different conditions to you. They still die when you bomb their schools, Moss and hospitals. It's not because of rockets. Please God, can you stop this all? I'm not related to the strangers on. The TV. But I relate, cause those strangers could've been me Words can never ever explain the raw tragedy It's not a wardage, it's murdering more rapidly And we are automatically supporting pure savagery Imagine how you feel if this was your family in my heart forever we stand for peace times of war we shan't surrender remember it didn't start in this dark december every coin is a bullet if you're marks and spencer and when you're sipping coca-cola that's another pistol in the holster of them soulless soldiers you say you know about the Zionist lobby, but you put money in their pocket when you're buying their coffee Talking about revolution sitting in Starbucks The fact is that's the type of thinking I can't trust Let alone even start to respect before you talk Learn the meaning of that scarf on your neck Forget Nestle, Obama promised Israel thirty billion over the next decade They trigger happy and they're crazy Think about that when you're putting Huggies nappies on your baby stolen land why do you think little boys are throwing stones at tanks and we'll never really know how many people are dead they drop bombs on innocent girls while they sleep in their bed Don't get offended by facts, just try and listen Nothing is more anti-Semitic than Zionism So please don't bring bad vibes when you speak to me There's plenty of rabbis that agree with me It's your choice, what you do with this message Don't get it confused, I view this from a human perspective How many more resolutions have to be violated? How many more children have to be annihilated? Israel is a terror state, they're terrorists that terrorise I testify, my television televise, I'm telling lies This is not a war, it is systematic justice but whatever they try, Palestine will never die. Sing it with me now. Free free Palestine. 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 West Bank Gaza. This is for the child that is searching for an answer. Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter. Long live Palestine. Long live Gaza. Palestine, Ramallah. West Bank Gaza. This is for the child that is searching for an answer. Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter. Long live Palestine. Long live Gaza.